to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner, gets up center. Perry scoops. Every show, I love it. We uh, <laughs> we're back. Uh, not a weekend show. We've we've. Uh, well, I guess our uh, our Thursday show kind of threw a wrench in those plans. Uh, but we are back to break down yeah. the uh, the weekend games. Unfortunately, we won't stay too much on those. But uh, there is some big news to talk about. We've got Troy Terry, All Star. We did it. We made it. Everybody, uh, good effort for everybody. I. <laughs> I know I voted 10, 10 times a day. <laughs> I would like to say I voted 10 times a day, but I, I did not remember my login for the NHL uh, website. So congrats to everybody who did vote. I was not a part of that. <laughs> yeah, no, I uh, I didn't vote. I don't. It is what it is. I'm very bad about that stuff. I'm not. I'm not a good participator. Yeah, I when I tweeted out today, we fucking did it. Uh, <laughs> you guys did it. Yeah, you're such a fraud. <laughs> I just you assumed that very proud it's our podcast things. account. Somebody, one of the hosts, had to vote at least once. Then I can use the term "we." Dude, but me, now I found out you didn't vote either, so I, I, I don't know. Let's hope Jason voted or Pat voted. Who knows? Yeah, I think that's at the top of both 100%. of their. Uh, uh, we got obviously. a couple Lucas, well, one Lucas Dostal start, but two Lucas Dostal appearances over the last couple of games to talk about his uh, his run so far and his three, two and a half games that he's played. So we'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, some kind of some updates about the Ducks GM search. And uh, we got Leon Dreisaitl versus Jim Matheson that uh, for our non-Ducks news <laughs> to get into today, which was a lot of fun. I always like when those little ones come up and we can talk about them. What do we, what do we have on the, the last... It was a clip we played on the last show. I can't remember now. Um. Oh God, what was it? It was. I don't even remember at this point. And I, I know we played. No, we played the torch uh, one. This is that was a while ago. That was a while ago. Yeah. That whole thing anyway, that happened was a while the, ago. Uh, the Ducks, Ducks lost three games in a row. Uh, the last two games, not too great. 7-3 loss to the Wild on Friday. A 3 nothing loss to the Blackhawks on Saturday. Ducks are now 19-15-7, third in the Pacific Division. Uh, but that could change over the next couple of days here. Sharks have a couple of games in hand, could pass. The Flames, who just won tonight, are three points back with like seven games in hand because they've had a bunch of po- postponements. Uh, Vancouver won, so they're catching up. And Edmonton, I still think, with the games in hand, are, are within touching distance. So there's a, uh, a pretty big gap to fall from third to potentially seventh in the division. So not uh, <laughs> not the way you want to, to start the podcast by any means. But there are some positives. I mean, obviously, uh, the Ducks are severely short handed right now a lot of players in COVID protocol Troy Terry the most recent one uh, Josh Manson just today uh, they've been without Getzlaff for a while Henrique obviously still out with injury uh, Cam Fowler I think was in COVID protocol for a bit Lindholm just came back from COVID protocol so it's been uh-huh. yeah it's been a revolving door of a lot of guys yeah so according to yeah according to hockey reference we have nine injuries Benoit Fowler Gibson Henrique Max Jones Vinny Viteri Mahura Milano and Stolarz 
uh, Stolarz is in health and safety protocols. Uh, safety protocols. Some of Benwell's in protocols. Cam Fowler's in protocols. Gibby's Gibby, in protocols. I think, I think Gibby is out and practicing. Mahura is hurt. Max Jones and Adam Penrook. But yeah, he's like the only one yeah, I think that, that's come back. I, I can't even keep up with all the the guys going in and out of COVID mm-hmm. protocol at this point. Like it's it's new guys every day. It's and uh, like we said, it's Josh so Manson crazy. was the uh, the newest one today. But uh, yeah, the other thing I was gonna say is I'm looking at how you reference him. There were two dumpster starts. He lost. Yeah, one. He, he was in one of the. Uh, I can't remember. Well, he played. He played in the third period, I think, of the Ducks versus Wild game. We stopped twelve of thirteen. Then he played, uh, started the game against the Blackhawks, stopped 33 of 35, and he played one game prior to that as well. And then he played, he played, uh, whatever, let me look at the thing right now. Let me find it. But he played, I think, what is today? I think he played Sunday. Yeah, he had his debut uh, a couple games before that. On, a, on another back-to-back. I think it was Sunday because it was the weekend prior to that. It was a Saturday, Sunday back-to-back. Stolarz played the night before, and then Dostal played uh, the second game at the back-to-back because we, we jumped on a show, I think, prior to that game where we were speculating if he would get the start or if they would go with Stolarz, uh, similar to what uh, Gibby used to do when Miller was out yeah. and they didn't have anybody to back up. Gibby would just play both games. It's been good, though. Yeah, well, I mean... I can't. I'm trying to look right now. This isn't very interesting at all right now. Um, but no, it's look. It's it's a bad stretch. They're down, but like you don't want to lose to some of those teams. Um, you know the Blackhawks especially. Like that's not that's not a thing that you want to be. You know. Oh, we get uh... the Wild in Pittsburgh. Like yo, that happens. I get it. Yeah. Uh, sorry, we you got know, uh, I mean, Detroit yeah, in the chat. Was uh, Detroit game that Dostal was in? Like a Detroit shootout went four three. Yeah. How do I not remember That's that? Right. Is we we talked we literally I think we talked about that in the last spot. Oh it's god, um, it's going great so far. Ridiculous. Shout out to Tuesday. But yeah, no, like you know, Dostal's been fun. Like the team's been bad, but like it is what it is. You know what I mean? Like you said, there's been some of the people missing are you know a big deal and. Beyond that, it just the team's limited. This is kind of a nice little, you know, kick in the knees to kind of bring everybody back down to earth a little bit to remind us that as exciting as, you know, this team is playing right now and as good as they have looked for stretches, this is still a team that isn't functionally a contender in any way. They can seem to be able to play with anybody on any night, but they aren't competing with everybody on every and I think there's a big difference right now. What we're seeing is that the skill, the skill level is higher, which allows them to be competitive. If you know you have one of those games where like Zegers and Milano are all going off, you know what I mean, like and different things like that. So that's beneficial. But they don't have you know the super talented third line, and then the oh this is a third line on everybody else's with a fourth line. So you know they they just lack depth. I mean. You know, I think the defense is, you know, kind of the strength of it right now as far as a unit. Although with how Dostal's looked, I guess you could say that you would rather say those three goalies are the strength, Gibby, Stolarz, and Dostal. But, you know, I mean, the Ducks' defense has held up well enough, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, for a while, the strength of this team was the improvement 
in uh, like five on five goal scoring to an extent. It was never excellent this year, but for the first 20 or so games, it was in the top half of the league. Now it's fallen off in, into the bottom half. The power plays is, is cooled off not a lot, but it, uh, enough. It's still ranked fourth in the league, and a lot of that is you know early season success. But right. it's not going to carry the you know the bulk of the offense and and you, you know it's going to win you a game every now and then but when you're sitting fourth in power play and 18th in just goals per game in general there's a big drop off there in their five on five goal scoring again it comes down to depth and just lacking a lot of real goal scoring talent and uh, you know at some point we knew there was going to be an, a regression and the ducks have lost eight of their last 10 and you know the big thing again is like, the teams that we you really starting to see the separation between the real contenders in these games against Minnesota and Pittsburgh? Not so much Chicago. I mean, it's a back to back. It it is what it is. The Ducks are shorthanded. It's a tough game to go into Chicago, even though they're not playing as as well as they you know we're used to seeing them play. It's still a tough matchup. But when you look at that, the the games they really got outplayed in the games against Pittsburgh and Minnesota, you can see that gap of you know Pittsburgh being one of the top teams in the metro and a cup contender again this year and Minnesota being one of the top teams in the central and I guess the surprise dark horse pick at the beginning of the season but now really looking like you know they're one or two pieces away from potentially being a Stanley Cup favorite if they bring in a couple options like these are the teams that can compete this year and you know it, it doesn't take away from what the Ducks have done being good for a third of the season is a lot better than last year where you were bad for a hundred percent of it right so there there are some improvements there's some some benefits that we've seen the rewards of that with Troy Terry going to the all-star game Trevor Zegers potentially up for the Calder trophy the race is on between him and Lucas Raymond Jamie Drysdale looks great this year and then the resurgence of some of the veterans like Getzlaff and Henrique when they're healthy and in the lineup and are not stuck in COVID protocol so you know the the benefits and and you know just, just it's easy to pick out the good things from the season despite this losing streak and you know, even if they go on to miss the playoffs or just scrape in I, I think that still is an improvement based off last year you see this a lot with teams that are rebuilding is you know occasionally you'll have a good run you could start the season hot you could end the season hot and you know you look better than you did the last year I think that's the the, the big kind of stepping stone for the Ducks is just continue to build on you know, season after season and continue to get better. And, you know, again, losing eight, eight games out of 10 sucks. And it's not a lot of fun for us to jump on here and start reviewing games for the Ducks get blown out 7-3 to three and 4-1 to one against some of the competitive teams. But you can still pull some positives from that. And, we, you know, we saw some debuts over the last couple of weeks in Perot and Tracy. And we'll talk a little about Lucas Dostal shortly here as well and, and how he's kind of seamlessly transitioned so far into the NHL it's early but uh, there there are a lot of positives come out of these games despite you know the the gap I think between the teams at the top and where the Ducks are right now yeah <clears throat> excuse me uh yeah I mean you know I think it's there's two ways to look at it right there's like the immediate everyday legal and then there's like the big picture if nothing else the big picture like you said already looks much better than it did this time last year there's so many things to be looking forward to. Um, and there's stuff that's not even technically happening in the, on, the, on the Ducks roster, right? Like some of the prospects are playing really well in, in juniors or minors or whatever. Um, and, you know, then Anaheim has this, this GM search, which I know we're going to talk about later and stuff. But, like, there's a lot of kind of just positivity around the franchise right now. And I think because so much of that is ref- 
reflected in the way that Segris plays. And, you know, and him and Terry and Milano just kind of running it out there. Like, it's very easy to kind of just be taken away because it's so much fun. And I think that's the big thing for me is it's just so nice that it's fun to just, like, you know, watch the hockey game and be like, oh, yeah, they got blown out or whatever. But, like, it's fun to watch. I know what I'm watching for. Yeah, there, and, there's still there's know, a reason like to watch that. this year. That's that's the big, despite the struggles. Like, they're again, like we said, they've lost eight of the last ten. But it, last year and the, the couple years prior to this as well, like it's, you know, I, I can't speak for everybody of this, but there are games you, you kind of look at when they're, they're you know, embroiled in a, in a long losing streak where you're like, man, like it's, it's tough to get up and watch this game. Like what, what are we tuning in for at this point watching, you know, Nick DeLore and Derek Grant play in the top line and, and the Ducks get blown out by, you know, whoever it may be, you know, one of the top right. teams in the league. But this year, you, you know, despite the struggles recently you should tune in to watch Trevor Zegers you, when he's in the lineup you tune in to watch Troy Terry and the way he's playing this year and Jamie Drysdale and Perot making a debut and Dostal and Tracy and you know the resurgence of some of these guys so you know there are players on this team that have made it must see TV despite the struggles and e- even with that the Ducks are still in a playoff spot right now you know, they're still in the mix and that makes it exciting upon itself for them to be in that discussion with you know, LA making a, a push right now. Now there's some meaning behind those games when when the Ducks face the Kings next, and the Sharks are still in the mix. So, you you know, you start bringing that the meaningfulness and in back into the rivalry too when those teams play. And you know, there's there's some meaningful games against Calgary and Edmonton and Vancouver, and you can build those rivalries back up, and those games become exciting again. That the Ducks are just kind of in the mix against those teams, and then you've got these exciting players to watch. Yeah. No. I. I mean, I think even if you took what we are like right now, right, the big picture takeaway from what the team is right now, and you told that to us before the season started, like, yeah, like by the middle of January, they're going to have more wins than regulation losses. Like, oh, okay. Yeah, that's I'll a plus. I'll take that. Uh, you know what I mean? And they'll be in a playoff spot, right? So, Like, I mean, like, again, like, you know, I really thought we were going to be terrible this year. Like, I really did. Like, I was excited about a bunch of different things, but, like, I did not expect this team to be good. And I also will say that I am definitely the one who's out here saying that we should go trade for Claude Giroux, so I get that, you know, getting <laughs> caught up in stuff is fun. But, like, you know, I just think the ride right now is fun, and that's that's the best part of it for me is there's stuff to look forward to. But just like you said, like, there were, you know, games in the middle of seven and eight lost stretches where you're just like, oh, I want to, you know, it's like Tuesday night at, like, you know, 5.30 or some shit. You're like, why am I making such a concerted effort to watch this game? This isn't going to go well. Yeah, yeah, they're playing Tampa or something in Tampa, and you're like, God damn, like, come yeah, on. Exactly. I just got home from work. Like, I don't want, I don't want yeah, to watch this. Exactly. And so, you know, it's just, it, it, it's just nice, man. I love it, man. It's just such a, a fun season to have right now. And then, uh, you know, with Mason McCavish being the captain of Team Canada for the Olympics, that's going to be exciting. Um, yeah, playing with Danny Heatley, right? Exactly. <laughs> I, I wish that roster was the real. Roster was the best. Oh man. But no, like I mean, yeah, like you know, like like just as far as the Ducks are concerned right now, I think there's a lot to be positive about, but that doesn't make necessarily the like day to day shittiness any any like crummier I, you know what I mean any less crumb like it still sucks that like oh yeah no they lost like three games in a row 
Like that's not going away because we kind of are at a point now where we're like, oh, you, you can play with anybody. You know, you're looking for the consistency and part of that consistency is depth. You know, I mean, you look at uh, Pittsburgh, for example, like Crosby was out for a long time. Um, Malkin was out for a long time and they kept it up, right? They had guys like Gensel who've stepped up. They've got, you know, just different, different depth players that are able yeah, to the, step the up. The myriad of college undrafted players that they seem to right. find every year. Yeah, the more dunks of the world. <laughs> and, um, but, you know, and, and I think that's like a testament to why they've been so successful. But, like, that's also part of it, right? Like, the difference with Anaheim is like, we're calling up Buddy Robinson and Vinny Lachieri. And, you know, these aren't even really high end 27 year olds, right? These are guys who are just AHL droppers. And it's like all up. Like, I'm not trying to take anything away from her for that. It's just. I think it's easy to look at them and be like, yeah, like it, it, theoretically, I would, you know, maybe rather have a more skilled player in the line of both yeah. of you. They're they're tweeners, but, but, right? Like they're yeah. journeymen. Yeah, and, it, and it, you know, I, you know, I, talking better than I'll ever be. I'm not trying to take anything away, but it's just one of those things that when you are looking at the things that make a contender, that kind of depth um, is crucial. You know, so yeah, like as much as I defended it for here and there, like Delorier playing on that top line is not a thing that speaks well of depth. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, know what I mean? you like, you can occasionally see that. I, I mean, it, sometimes it works, you know, Pat Maroon in the past when he played on the top line in Tampa Bay, like it just kind of worked. They had some guys out. It makes Cassian sense. Cassian went and, off for 20 goals. Like, no, I totally get yeah. that. Like I, I don't, but as a long-term it's, plan, it's, it's not sustainable. Well, and I, I, I don't. I think, I think Pat Maroon's a better player than Nick Deloria. Yes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's the thing to me. It's like Pat Maroon can do all the stuff that Nick Deloria does, but he's also just like a better hockey player. Um, you know, and he's managed to be a big part of teams that have won the Stanley Cups. You know what I mean? Like, well, as you said to uh, Brad Marchand, he's got three cups. How many do you have? So. Yeah, at Rock. And then Marshawn owned Barkov, which was perfect. It's the best. And now Marshawn is uh, having a uh, Twitter war, Instagram war with uh, Vince Trocek right now. They played tonight. And, uh, Sasha Barkov. No, oh, no, is it Trocek? Yeah, it's Trocek, yeah. And then the Hurricanes blew them out 7-1. to one, So that was... <laughs> I, don't, I don't think Trocek had one single point, but he'll be, uh, he'll be lauding that scoreline over Marshawn for sure. Yeah, Yeah, I don't know. I thought it was Barkov. I feel like an idiot. Um, but yeah, no, there's a ton of stuff to be excited about. Well, yeah, I mean, we might as well get into it with Lucas Dostal, too. Um, the, the one start over the weekend and the appearance in the game against the Wild, then his first NHL start, which we talked about in the last show, the 4-3 shootout win over Detroit. It's been pretty good for him. Like, it's, it's almost as good as you could kind of ask for in... Uh, you know, in, in for him making his NHL debut and, and playing, you know, getting two starts and coming in for a leaf in a tough game and and you know, the, giving the Ducks a chance to get back into it, they're likely never going to come back from down six to one. But to come in and kind of steady the ship there and stop twelve or thirteen, the Ducks got a couple goals and and got some confidence clearly from him coming in and just being a solid presence in that. And I thought he looked great in the Chicago game where he stopped thirty three or thirty five, just didn't get any offensive support. And even in the game. 
against Detroit where he allowed three goals. I, th- I thought he looked excellent for an. It didn't look like his NHL debut, right? He didn't look like a 21 year old goaltender who'd never played in the NHL before. There's some air of confidence about his play that you know shows, and like we said on the last show, that kind of shows that he's played you know pro hockey in Finland for three years and uh, now a year and a half in the AHL. Like you can see that experience versus you know some of the guys we've seen jump right out of junior hockey into a few a few handful of AHL games and then thrust right into the NHL. And Carter Hart comes to mind and Spencer Knight as well. And, and they've had kind of struggles early on in their careers. And I, I think, you know, this is, again, all you can kind of really ask for from Lucas Dossel. And, and I, unfortunately, I don't think it's going to continue once you know, Gibson is out of protocol now, once he's ready to play, and when Stolarz comes out of protocol. And it, like Logically, it just makes sense to send Lucas Dostal down and, you treat it as great showing, and when we have the roster space available, and we'll give you another chance, and just continue to prove yourself, and you're going to get eventually the chance to either become the backup and, and potentially succeed Gibson in, in the future, right? But it's come, it, it speaks to what we said uh, on the show on Tuesday, where this is what you want to see from the goaltender. Every time he gets an opportunity, especially a young goaltender, comes up and presses, eventually, with those performances, you're going to earn more chances to get in, you know, into the net and, and get some starts here and there. And and that's going to build up over the next couple of seasons. So every time that Dostal does get in the net in the, at the NHL level, this is all you can ask for him is to play well and give the Ducks a chance to win. Well, that's the, well here's the thing, right? Yeah. Lucas Dostal is waiver exempt. So there's a good chance that he's the guy who goes up and down. Now, Ole Eriksson Eck is as well, but I think given how Dostal played, that there's an argument to be made that you kind of just let Erickson Eck be the guy in San Diego and you just see what you have in Dostal since, you know, he, he's the more high-end prospect at this point. Um, you know, so I, I he looked good, man. Like, he looked really good. Like, the, the goals in the Detroit game, like, I don't really feel like any of those goals were his fault. You know what I mean? Like, he played aggressively, but he played calm. Like, you know, it's funny like to see him be six foot two and be considered a shorter goaltender nowadays because everybody's like six five. You know, like Darren Payne, I think, is three and a half feet tall. He was a goaltender. And it's like, yeah, dude, Darren Payne's like still alive and just like still. Yeah, a somehow, dude. somehow, UC's like Lucas Dossel looks like, small yeah, and no. then at six two, and then somehow UC Saros doesn't look like he's like five eleven or six foot or whatever he is in the net. Yeah, and then you have Vasilevsky, yeah, yeah. what six seven, I think something ridiculous like you know it's just it, it's just it's insane but you saw out of Dostal what you wanted to see right you saw him be composed like you saw him play really well he, you know he like you said he didn't look like a guy who was getting his first start there didn't seem to be any jitters to his game he just kind of was there and he just kind of played his game and, you know let the game come to him he didn't force anything which I think was huge um and so, yeah, like, you're in on You're just looking at that, like, great. So maybe next year this is the guy um, because we could trade. Like, I mean, look, here's the thing. He played so well, or he played well enough, I guess I would say, is a better way to say it. But, like, you could talk me into now looking at trading Anthony Stolarz, who's having a great year and could be a very useful, uh, you know, backup on a contender looking to get somebody in for cheap. You know what I mean? Like, he's especially he's got the extra year. He's proven that he can do it. Like, I mean, 
if he can play this well behind Anaheim, it's hard to think that it could Yeah, he's definitely put himself in that discussion. I I mean, I would Um, say that game against uh, Minnesota was really the only bad start he's had all year. Like, he's looked pretty good every time he's gone in there. And, and, I mean, it speaks to the fact that even after allowing six goals on 29 shots, still has a 919 save percentage and a 266 goals against average. And a winning record at six five and one and two shutouts. So he's been good this year. And I think they're you know, he doesn't make a lot of money. Any team looking for a backup goaltender, I, I think he would be near the top of that list. And it, yeah, like you said, it does make potentially that conversation easier for the Ducks that Lucas Dostal has looked good. I know it's only two and a half games, but you know, if you get him a few more starts here before the trade deadline and he still looks good, that that discussion I think probably comes across the table. And long term um, even if you don't move Anthony Stolarz, you know, again, the, I think the Gibson trade rumors are going to come up, uh, whether it's this offseason like they came up last offseason uh, or continuing on, and especially if the Ducks continue to struggle, yeah. right? Like the big thing for, for Gibson in the comments we saw at the start of the season was nobody likes losing. Like He wants to win games. And again, everybody took that and ran with it and said, oh, yeah, right. Gibby wants out, and if the Ducks lose again this year, he's going to ask for a trade. But I think it's a real possibility at some point, right? Like, he's getting up close to 30 at this point, and there there have been teams pretty much every offseason we hear reports that they've inquired about interest. I, I think it's way, way too early in Lucas Dostal's NHL career to, to say... Yeah, like, you can't expect exactly. to be a starter. Like, I don't... There, things like that but i just think at this point you know like like, like if you do trade stolars right i think gibby's still yeah. gonna play the majority of the games which makes it easier on docile you can pick his spots you can be a little bit more choosy the only ones that are going to be mandatory are maybe you know back to back or something like that but even then depending on who it's again you could give you know give you the back to back and then you know, two days later, give Dostal a start if you go into a long week or something like that, where he's going to have time to rest. Uh, you know, there's there's ways to massage yeah. the schedule. I guess is what I would say to to like kind of insulate Lucas Dostal. All of this is very cart in front of the horse, but based on what we saw over those two and a third games, I guess, like I think there was enough there to be very optimistic that it seems like. You know, the rumors of how good he could I, be. I think might be the, true. the one benefit of potentially just keeping all three of them for this season is because <clears throat> of the issues surrounding, you know, COVID and the COVID protocol. And I know that the the, the way the NHL tests players is going to change after the All Star break with them not testing asymptomatic players. So that could potentially, you know, relieve some teams of having to put so many players into COVID protocol so often. But I think Lucas Dostal, even with that, is probably in the best position because of it this year in the sense that he can be that third guy and you know Gibson and Stolarz will still continue to get the majority of the starts but then the Ducks might you know cut a game here or there a game that they can handpick out of the schedule themselves and say okay you know we're going to give Lucas Dostal a start here and then if Gibby goes into protocol or Stolarz goes into protocol Stolarz uh, Dostal can just jump right in there either as the backup or a starter on back-to-backs and He's you know, proven he's capable to get that chance and deserves more chances. So I think it's a really good position, honestly, for him right now as the third guy where, okay, Ole Eriksson can, has proven that he can at least capably run the ship by himself in San Diego. And, you know, for games that the Ducks don't need him, they can send him off the taxi squad down to San Diego and he can get some games there. If they go on a long road trip and they know he's not going to start, they could do that. 
and then bring him back and play him a game that you know that they've handpicked for him to play. And I think that's a perfect situation for him this year to mm-hmm. say, like, let's say he gets five more games to you know from now until the end of the season. I think that's fine. You know, if they pick those five games, you know, the ones that they think that he yeah. can excel in, yeah. or the ones they want him to play in. Maybe he gets a fewer here or there with guys going into protocol or injuries or anything like that. But, you know, it, it's a really good position for him, similar to what we said with Drysdale last year, that COVID benefited him in some sense, that he didn't go back to Erie. He got to play in the AHL. He proved that he was good enough to play in the NHL probably a year, maybe two, before we would have normally expected to see him. And, and, you know, the same could be said for Perot as well. He wouldn't be in the AHL last year and likely this year uh, if it wasn't for the fact that, uh, you know, he was able to play in the AHL because of COVID. So a lot of these guys ended up you know, ex- kind of accelerating their development path, which helps the Ducks at the end of the day. So for Dostal and Drysdale and Perot to be a bit closer to the NHL than they would have been in their normal development path, I think is a, a, a huge bonus for the Ducks. Yeah, I mean, look, like, the 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 best asset that you can have, and I, I get that that's like a gross word at times, but, like, the best asset that you can have in the NHL is a superstar on a rookie contract. Like, it looks like we have that, right? Like, he's not there yet, but, like, if you told me, you know, depending on where he finished this year, like, a 20-point bump, 25-point bump. In, like, I wouldn't be surprised. He seems like he could be that good. Degris, you know what I mean? Like, And then you have other players, like, what does a full year for McTavish look like? What does a full year for Perot look like? Like, you're at the point now where you're like, we might be a little bit faster. We might be ready a little bit sooner than we thought because of exactly what you said, that a couple of players were afforded an opportunity to show that maybe they were ahead of schedule when as a more conservative organization and also having felt like they, they needed to, uh, mm-hmm. you know, just like go slowly, uh, with some of these guys' developments. Um, you know, like I, it just creates an opportunity for Anaheim to, you know, maybe get the most out of it. Like have a lot of these guys on maybe the second or third year of those rookie deals when they make a deep run. Yeah. You, you, it, it lines up, nicely um, in the sense so, that you know technically this is what well, this is year two of the elc for zegris and drysdale they get one more year after this i think and then mctavish would technically not so, start his elc until next year because it's slide uh, it slid this year with him playing only nine games so you've got that to your advantage of three years of an entry-level contract for mason mctavish and if he comes out and, and takes a big jump forward which i think we can all expect at this point the way he's been playing a um, bit more confidence again with some more experience uh, under his belt uh, this year will juniors um, you know a, a hopefully a, a run for the OHL championship with Hamilton that's going to be good for him uh, you know Braden Tracy's leading the San Diego goals in scoring so full season the AHL for him again for pro both getting their debuts like the development path for these guys has been accelerated because of that and again uh, same can be said in a sense, for Lucas Dostal, I think his has probably been the most normal in the sense that, you know, he had a normal transition from playing overseas in Finland and then going to the AHL and then getting his chance probably when he normally would have got his chance either way. But it, it is nice to see him kind of be able to be worked in in a bit more conservative way with the Ducks 
having their issues with goaltenders going into COVID protocol and injuries here or there that he can kind of smoothly transition in because we've seen how detrimental it can be for a young netminder sometimes, especially on a team that's struggling, to just be thrown into the fire and said, okay, here you go. You're, like, you're, you're facing you know, the lightning in Tampa Bay or you're, you're, you're playing you know, in Chicago and you've got, you've got to go against these guys. So it's, it's, it's a tough matchup usually, but I think it's been it's worked out nice for the Ducks for, for the way they've been able to kind of work these guys in into the right situations. Like I don't think we can argue with the way Tracy and Perot and Dostal made their debuts this year. I think they, they played it right, and I think they were smart to put them in when they did. Yeah, I think I think I think the way to say it is at this point it looks like the semi-conservative approach has proved beneficial, but that semi-conservative approach is also like I like we said, you said it first, bolstered by that accelerated timeline because of the unique situation for the COVID, right? Like I think it's fair to say Mason McTavish probably doesn't look as comfortable in those first couple of games that he had in Anaheim if he's not playing overseas because he yep. can't play in the OHL last year, right? Um, like you said, there's no OHL. Well, Drysdale's already signed, so bring him on up. Let him play for the AHL this year. So him and Zegres and you know, Perot are, are getting this opportunity that normally they wouldn't have. And then all of a sudden, half of the season, you're like, oh, let's bring the kids up. Let's see how it goes. And they stick around, and now you're here, like, it's a lot of a, a lot of like seeds from the past like four or five and six years feels like they're kind of coming up right like it feels like we're really starting to get the beneficiary the the benefits of some of these moves we made a few years ago right Isaac Lunderstrom is coming along Maxime Comfort's coming along Troy Terry has you know turned into the second coming like th- there's all these things that are happening that it it. It's just nice to know that there does seem to be kind of a systemic improvement of talent slowly kind of working its way into the organization at the main level. And I think that's very exciting. And then to know that we're going to have, you know, new leadership and hopefully someone who's a little bit more aggressive or dynamic in the way that they use trades and things like that. I think um, there's there's a lot to be excited about, you know, and, and the team is in a unique position you really try to capitalize yeah it it helps you trust the process a little bit easier i think when you start to see it pay dividends oh speaking of process yeah we have to say it is dostal it is this one this will be the one where i treat it exactly like these zagris and Driesdale. i'm gonna continue to say dostal (laughs) this this will be the the one hill i die on i've said it for too long now that I, I don't think I can change. I don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> uh, you mentioned <laughs> Troy Terry. We got to talk about him, obviously. Big news today. Was it today? Yeah, my days are blending together. Yeah, mm-hmm. big news today. Troy Terry uh, won the last man in vote, which was a big surprise to me, honestly. And uh, he is into the All-Star game, as he should have been to, to begin with. But I get why, you know, the, the logistics of the team building Gibson made sense for the NHL to put him in um, and Terry deserved to be there and rightfully so he got voted in but we, we talked about this on the last show like I'm surprised that it, the Ducks fans showed up uh, clearly not us but Ducks fans showed up to and, and voted Troy Terry in 
yeah. we were projecting. That's what it was. I, like. I sat on that last show and I was looking at, you know, obviously Matthew Kachuk and JT Miller. And, you know, every time we've had a fan vote, like in, especially in the Pacific Division, it's one of those teams. It's Edmonton, it's Vancouver, it's Calgary. They have the, the amount of fans that they have. Uh, not only like in Canada, but then the players' popularity of a guy like Matthew Kachuk potentially. Like, it just felt like it was it was foregone conclusion he was going to get in. But man, I give credit to to Ducks fans who who came out, showed up, and voted. And you know, at the end of the day, he was a player that deserved to get in. And I think of all the players that got voted, it was Stamkos, Kadri, uh, Terry, and originally Zabinajad, but he he couldn't go, so Gensel goes. Zabinajad, yeah. I think those are the guys that deserve to go the most from each list. When you look at who was on there, um, I, I, the Metro list is escaping me a little bit on who else was there other than Gensel and Zabinajad, but I think those were the top two. But Terry was the best one in the Pacific. I mean, Kadri, again, one of those players who should have gone to the all-star game without the last man in vote fourth in scoring he goes and then right. sam goes is having a you know a career year almost in in tampa bay at uh, at this point in his career so he deserves to be there as well so it was nice to see the the vote work out it eased my concerns a little bit that uh that he'll be there and then the ducks put out that nice kind of behind the scenes video uh where they made the announcement to the team that uh, that troy terry's going so it's gonna be fun it's gonna be fun to watch uh, him go there i know it's a big moment for him gibby's going again which is going to be fun to to see him there but uh and i guess zegris is going to show up somehow the nhl wants him to be there i don't know how how and where he's yeah, yeah probably the skills competition is i think what i've heard if they do like a a trick shot competition they're going to try to get yeah into i would imagine like it, it, um, i'd imagine it'd be him and a few other guys like a lucas raymond and you know somebody else like a like, the top three or five rookies or something like it would it would be a little weird if it was just him like and they were just catering to him to bring him in but well to be fair it goes to what we were talking about last time right which is get the best players for the skill competition don't just pick players that are in the game that to his credit like we have a proof of concept with his um creativity in the way that for the dunkers you get those in-game dunks you get those really big moments where either a guy gets a breakaway and he does something crazy on a you know on a breakaway dunk or he just you know drives down the lane nails on somebody and he's just like okay great like i think you know i think it's i think it's a positive sign i think you know they have an opportunity to maybe get some other rookies in there absolutely but i i think as far as just whether or not it should be all rookies to make it less weird i think it doesn't just because it's you know like i said what we were talking about last week as far or last episode as far as uh get the right guys for the competitions and let the game yeah sort I, I hope they get him there i think it would uh, i think he deserved to be there anyway uh, it's tough to say of all the players who got voted in um you know he should have been there over other guys in, in terms of just not not like point production in the way he's played this year he's been really good for what we can expect like he again a calder trophy candidate but there's a lot of good players who are left off like i don't necessarily think he should have been one of the guys voted in i think as uh, okamara mentions in the chat here like terry should have been in and then if zegers was like a last man in vote for the ducks i think that would have been fair i think that would have been um you know, a decent approach there in the sense that if you had to pick somebody outside of Troy Terry to be voted in as a second all-star for the Ducks, I think Zegers is probably top of that list. And no no slight to, to Gibby. I, I think he deserves to be there when we're looking at the netminders in the Pacific Division and how he ranks among those guys. 
because positionally they have to have you know four net miners on the team. So when you look at the Pacific Division and the net miners that went, he's one of the best, other than maybe Jacob Markstrom, who I don't I don't think he ended up going, which was the big kind of shock of everything. Yeah, no, it's uh, Demko, Quick, right? No, and oh, right. Tempe is going for. I just had everything up. Uh, let's see. Leon Saddle, Jordan Everly, Johnny Gaudreau, Adrian Kempe, Connor McDavid, Timo Meyer, Mark Stone, Troy Terry, Alex Petrangelo, John Gibson, Demko, Gibson. Okay, only yeah. two goalies. So I, I think if if it was um, Swap Gibby out for it's tough here because again like they have to fit one guy from every team here. You could say Swap Gibby out for Terry, but you need a second goaltender there. So then do you swap Johnny Gaudreau out for? Well, I think what people would say is you swap Terry for Kempe and Quick for Gibby, right? Because those are the two that people yeah. feel should have gotten in off the hop. So you take out a forward, you put in a forward. You take out a goalie, you put in a goalie, and it just kind of naturally works that you're swapping two teams pretty directly. So, you know, but, you know, there's always, you know, arguments to be made. Like, you know, you could make a, a vote to Kemp Ballard or uh, Kevin Shacker uh, to, to be in the last man in conversation, right? <laughs> you know like i you know it's just one of those things like uh, like you said it's great to see that everybody showed up and, and, and you know got him there um, it's a big win for ducks fans i i i honestly chalk I, it up to a pretty big win yeah, for ducks I, fans to outvote some of the canadian markets yeah no definitely i think uh you know part of me that was cynical at first was like was he always going to be the winner but I, was I had like, well, no, because they're not going to rob themselves of like <laughs> Matthew Kachuk or anything like that. But you know, it, it's just great. It's it's good to see, and, and it's fun that he's going to have that experience and be around some of those guys. And like, I don't know, like you can make a big deal out of it or not. And I think it's probably more not than anything but like i do think there's a little bit of something to just being around some of the best players in the game and just like kind of getting to talk to them and pick their brains and stuff like that i mean you know most of the time they're going to be hammered and telling stupid stories but like you know there's no real loss to him being able to spend time with some of those guys who are you know the best i mean look he's going to get to hang out with jack hughes it's like his best friend it's a big big confidence booster for a player who clearly thrives off being confident and playing confident to get that nod for the all-star game get voted in by your own fans like that's right now Troy terry doesn't need any more confidence but that's huge for the second half of the season for him to keep this up you know amid the duck struggles and him being in COVID protocol for him to kind of get that vote of confidence right now to you know, he's an all-star now like that that's something you can't take away from him you saw how much it meant to him in that short little mm-hmm. clip and and uh of uh, Dallas Higgins congratulating him and them getting a little bit emotional. Like it means a lot to him and it should, right? Like it's, he's worked hard to get to where he's gotten. Yeah. He has been the most improved player probably in the NHL. I, I would put him up in that conver- in that conversation. He's yeah. yeah. I, I mean, the, I the steps forward he's taken so. this year yeah. is just unbelievable for a guy who's on pace to like, you know, score 40 to 50 goals and, <laughs> and potentially, you know, 70, 80 points, uh, a guy that, never eclipsed 20 in his career in goals and I, I think scraped the the surface of getting close to 30 points like for him to take that leap this year is it's unbelievable he deserves it by every every definition uh, of the word of all-star he deserves to be there and it's going to be a lot of fun to watch him it's going to be fun to you know to see Gibby again as much as every time he's there it doesn't seem like he gives a shit about the, the, about the competition it will still be uh 
it'll be fun to to watch him in the All Star game and in some of the skills competitions. But yeah, I think it I think it's huge for Troy Terry and, and uh, you know hopefully we see Zegers there in some capacity. I, I know you know I'll definitely I, I try and tune in every year, but I think it'll be a lot of fun to kind of watch Troy Terry in his first All Star game. And I think a, a lot of people that might not have tuned in if he wasn't there are definitely going to tune in now. Yeah, I just realized that I'm an idiot. I got Troy Terry and Trevor Zegers confused with my head because we were talking about both of them when I was talking about Jack Hughes. Anyways, um, but yeah, I think it's going to be a great opportunity for him. I think it'll be fun for Gibby to be there. I think, um, you you know, I, I think honestly almost getting in more so than getting picked feels like a huge like mm-hmm. win for him. You know what I mean? To be like, like the fans, like, you know, see what the guys he beat out too, right? Like like, beating out Matthew Kachuk and JT Miller and Darnell Nurse and, you know, Jonathan Marshall show. People aren't just voting for, exactly. People are also just voting for their teams. Like they're voting in all the divisions. You know what I mean? So like he got love from like fans all over the place. Like, so like that's super dope. And he can now, you know, kind of take that. I mean, look, like he's got more goals than assists. If you would have told me that, if you would have asked me his stat line most years, what it would be, it would I would have always said more assistant goals. I would have felt he would have been more of a secondary playmaker, which he is. But like, you know, his goals this year is is driven by his confidence, and he's just kind of got you know kind of like that momentum and that, that confidence to just keep kind of rolling right now, and he's just riding it out. So, you know, to to just kind of keep giving a little bit of extra juice to that that kind of ray that wave that he's riding i think is is great i think it's yeah ogamar asked uh, how far off is the all-star game it's uh saturday february 5th is the all-star game so the ducks have a few more games before then uh, colorado on wednesday which is tomorrow tampa bay on friday then boston on the following monday toronto montreal ottawa detroit before we head into that massive like three-week break <laughs> in, in uh in February, I know. I think there's going to be some games that eventually get sprinkled in there, but the Ducks haven't had uh, too many games that have been postponed. I think just four this season, or no, five, five games they've had postponed. So, even over a three-week stretch, there, there's going to be a little bit of break of games. But before the All-Star Game, Troy Terry's got seven games to pop off with that extra confidence boost that he's had. So that will uh, now he'll probably miss tomorrow, or he will miss tomorrow because of COVID protocol, uh, and potentially Friday. So that will cut into some of the games, but you would expect at least, you know, four to five games for him before the All-Star break. So it'll be nice to see uh, how he how he performs and how he comes out after, uh, you know, again, that vote of confidence and getting voted in. And the one thing, we, we can't we can't stop talking about the Troy Terry in the All-Star game in the video without talking about the dude T-shirts in, in that video. Oh, God. You know, dude, like, they're that's so a great. perfect marketing like, play by the Ducks. The I don't think anybody's seen those T-shirts before. And everybody's tuning in to all the social media mm-hmm. content right now because Troy Terry just got announced he's going to the All-Star Game. Ducks fans are excited. They're happy. They're willing to spend money on the Ducks. Yeah. yeah. It's not a coincidence. That <laughs> part of, like, part of me shirt. wishes they were just wearing that coincidentally and they just wanted to wear it. The like, cynical side of me is like somebody from like the marketing team or merchandise said, you know, put this on for this video. <laughs> Yeah, that's 100% what happened. They walked into that room with, like, you know, an intern out there just, like, handing them T-shirts. And they're like, put the just, fucking shirt on. I'm, I'm like, okay. I'm going to hold on to, like, the little part of me that believes that Dallas Higgins just pulled that on this morning. Now, to be fair, we've heard 
we've heard of you know the players being behind some of these things as far as like getting t-shirts made for the team so it absolutely could be a thing where somebody said like oh fuck this would be great if we do and then they went to the organization for help or whatever right which leads to the shirts being made which leads to the moment so it's still uh genuine and organic in that matter but like you know again it's not by happenstance that like 30 guys are all wearing the exact same t-shirt I love it. Um, I, I, I will hold on so to that they all awesome. chose of their own free will to wear those T-shirts. I'll <laughs> just woke up one day and like rocking. But uh, yeah, if if you want to buy that shirt, do not go into the Ducks uh, Twitter mentions and click on one of the numerous links that have been tweeted out. Apparently, they are going to tell you how to buy those T-shirts in uh, the next coming, I guess, days or week or whatever. Uh, what that they'll be on sale. So yeah, uh, don't. <laughs> yeah, they'll be on sale. Probably so they're not was pass tomorrow in, that cash. Uh, in Anaheim or in Colorado. If it's if it's in Anaheim, they're going to be on sale probably yes. tomorrow. <laughs> there's, there's absolutely there's absolutely no yeah, way those are Anaheim. not in the team store tomorrow for mm. tomorrow's game. They will be there, front and center, right at the front of the store, ready to buy. I guarantee it. There's no way they pass up on that. Yeah, Even if they have to pull the t-shirt off Dallas Aiken's back and put it right in the store kids. and call it game worn or <laughs> and put it on sale, they're not gonna yeah <laughs> they're not gonna miss out on that opportunity. Okay, we got a couple more things uh, we got to get into. We got the Ducks GM search and a few few updates on that, and they've narrowed down the the list a little bit. And if, uh, some, some candidates have been pointed out uh, beyond the three in the organization which is the first time i think we really heard of anybody the ducks have been interested in uh actually by name anybody listed so we'll get into that and then we got the uh the dry settle versus jim matheson thing because i we, i just want to talk about that because it's hilarious i love it um i always love when the, the like this. okay we'll wait for that because i have a lot to say about that i just love when the reporters get a little bit mouthy and uh, start <laughs> start taking uh taking some liberties on what they can say but so let's uh let's quickly talk about the ducks gm search here so a uh, Pierre Lebrun tweeted out i think yesterday um some news that the ducks had begun their gm interviews as of last week but just with the in-house candidates so jeff solomon martin madden and yes dave nonis was listed so he is part of the interviews uh that's oh, just yeah. a uh well you can't give an interview to two of the He's two of the three guys you gotta say you 100 percent can, but they uh, didn't, and I get that if you didn't. Like I 100 percent get why they didn't, but you definitely can just be like, "Shut up, we're not interviewing you for this job. You want to leave, you can leave, but that's but like no, <laughs> we're not. You're not going to be the next GM of Anaheim. Oh, to be a fly on the wall for the Dave Nonis GM interview. How great would that be? Oh, oh my god, could you like I would just like bring up the whole Toronto thing and just be like, so what the fuck exactly was this? And they're just like, oh, and like, yeah, okay. I did notice fine. this whole thing is, hey, nice. you know, Darren Drager is my cousin, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> so part of the sorry, second half of that tweet, uh, external candidates are going to be interviewed <laughs> soon. Uh, and he also heard that Anaheim has not reached out at this point to Tampa AGM Matthew Darsh. I probably butchered that name because it looks French. Um also, it was in 32 Thoughts that the Ducks are, are very interested in Chris McFarland, the Colorado Avalanche AGM, who's the uh, assistant to Joe Sackick in Colorado. So that's that's the first name I think we've heard outside of obviously Jeff Solomon, Martin Madden, and Dave Nonis. So uh, they've narrowed the list down to 10 
to uh, was it ten to twelve, and I would assume 12, that includes the three from yeah. inside the organization. So that leaves about yeah uh, six to nine candidates from outside the organization. Who obviously Chris McFarland is one of them. But it, it, it's nice to hear some other names. And again, we talked about this when the news first came out that the Ducks, you know, obviously moved on from Bob Murray and Jeff Solomon came in as an interim GM, and that they're going to begin a search that they should explore all options. You know, obviously the guys in house are going to get an interview, but you know, make the list long. Interview, you know, your top candidates, narrow it down, and pick the best guy. And if it's not a guy in house, it's not a guy in house. That's what I was going to say. I, I honestly think the most encouraging part of that is that there are so many outside guys that they want to interview. Um, like because, like you said, like there's no harm from just it's a free opportunity to sit down and pick the brains of hopefully some of the brightest people in in you know hockey team running management whatever you want to call it um but you know like roster construction and team building and things like that like to just pick their brains and ask them questions because that's part of an interview right it's like what are you going to do for us like how do you see this team moving forward what do you want to do so now all of a sudden you get you know 10 12 guys all telling you different things and you take that and you start to whittle down you you know what i mean but it, it, it also just as you go through the process of eliminating candidates you're also just learning more you're getting more exposure and you're able to just make a more informed decision going forward and i, I think it's very encouraging to me that there do seem to be so many people because i honestly was kind of surprised that it was that many people i figured you know when you think of like a lease a list leaking you're usually kind of like oh, it's like six guys you know, maybe a little bit more than that. But no, this is great. I ten twelve guys, man. I'm all for it. Take the time, get it right. Hopefully, you know, I I hope Solomon isn't sitting on his hands while this process goes, because I think there are certainly, you know, plenty of runway between now and the deadline for Anaheim to get interesting. Um but I you know take as long as you need you got to make this decision right it's the first time since brian burke that they've hired a general manager like you know bob murray was basically just an internal promotion because burke left so i think you know there's just a lot of positives coming here from them and you know the yeah, way and, that this and is going. i mean so. obviously we knew the three internal candidates but for it's exciting to see names get dropped, like I said, for external candidates and for Chris McFarland to be one of them. Like that is, I think, one of the top names that is out there. You know, it's at, I think it's been on a top five pretty much for any team looking for a GM recently. He was in the running for the Pittsburgh job when Jim Rutherford stepped down from that position. He's been, uh, I think, interviewed or rumored to be interviewed for the Vancouver position. He was considered for the Montreal position, but they were heavy on having somebody who is fluent in French as they usually they usually are which I, makes sense but uh-huh. this isn't a guy who's you know been in the league or been in the you know as has experience of only a couple of years like he's not a fresh face he's not a and no you know no um slight here to Daniel Briere like he's no you know former player who's just kind of gotten into the mix right and is just starting out don't, one don't of those types of, of guys Daniel but put in the work yes but you know you're a hundred percent right. But I just think it's it's yes it's he deserves he deserves like, credit for right. sure. And, and you know, again he he doesn't job. have the the luxury of being twenty years older and not having an initial right. playing career and being so he's starting to build up his experience. But Chris McFarland like 
He's been in the NHL since 2000, 2001. Started with the Columbus Blue Jackets, was the director of hockey ops, moved to an assistant GM, was the general manager of the Springfield Falcons for a couple seasons, moved to the Avalanche uh, for the 2015-2016 season, has been there since as the AGM to um, to Joe Sackick. And you know, the the big thing for him is apparently you know, really good with, with the finance and um, – and player personnel decisions, uh, with nego- negotiation tactics when it comes to you know trades or free agent decisions, and I, again I'm not sure how hands on he's been with the development and the drafting for the Colorado Avalanche, but you know, again getting Alex Newhook at 16, Bowen Byram uh, at number four, Car- um, what's this Mika Rantanen at 10, Kel McCarr at four. Like he's been in and around these decisions with Joe Sacking during these drafts. And I know Kale McCarr, you could say, fell to four at, at that point, but they still had to draft him. And same goes for Mika Ronton. And you look at who are you know two of the biggest pieces of the, of the big four in Colorado right now. What's well, Ronton and McCarr? And Tyson Yost is a big part of that team. And Bowen Byram yeah. and Newhook are a big part of the future of that team. So they've uh, they've you know he's clearly been a, a big part of what is now one of the most exciting teams to watch in the National mm-hmm. Hockey League. So it's great to see guys like that being considered with the in-house candidates. And you can only hope as more of these names get leaked, like they, they most likely will from this external list, that uh, you, know, mm-hmm. you would assume that they're going to be as good as, as Chris McFarland and the in-house candidates as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, you should, it's a process, right? It feels like every every couple of you know, uh, GM hirings is when you get, uh, oh, this guy was just in the mix, and you start to get the names that kind of cycle in while others move out and stuff like that. So it's always worth paying attention who's the uh, also-rans and just missed in a lot of these conversations and things like that. But I think if you're Anaheim, like, you're looking at teams like Tampa, you're looking at teams like Colorado, because, like, uh, you know, that's not a huge market. Like, Stan Kroenke's a pretty pretty tight owner um you know that you're looking at teams that don't necessarily have a ton of money to spend i think tampa tampa has come into that but tampa wasn't always that i think that's fair uh you know and in carolina right with eric tolsky if that's somebody that they're looking into and stuff so you're, you're looking at guys who also have experience in similar marketplaces right and i i think that's also very smart i mean you know there was the what do you call it? There was the uh, the rumor about Bergevin maybe being interested or being offered or whatever. But like beyond that, like none of these names. I guess again, Dave knows <laughs> the like, don't, I, Literally, he would have to get it. He would have to get the job for me to believe it's anything more than just them doing it in a decent, like a courtesy. That's it. Like if you told me they just went out to lunch and they didn't even talk about an interview, like yeah, I get it, dude. It's expensive steak. It's cool. Go for it. Um. But, you know, for me, it's just one of those things. It's just like, it's nice to see. It does seem to be like there's a bit of a plan. You're looking for teams who built through the draft, like you said. You're looking at teams who have been able to sign better contracts, right? The Nathan McKinnon's a great contract. Um, shit, even the Braden Point, Nikita Kucherov contracts already look like deals because those guys are so good. Um, so, I, you know, for me, that's that's the thing is, is there seems to be. And look, here's the thing. Everything I said could be completely wrong. Like I could be looking at this and just reading coincidental things from it, but it seems to me that there does seem to be some some validity to that based on those two names being among the ones coming out and knowing 
you know, how, how the team operates and, you know, the owners haven't necessarily been afraid to spend money, but they're not, it's not Toronto, right? They can't just burn money and be like, yeah, just go get three guys who make $30 million and yeah. you can pay other guys $30 million. Yeah. There, it's just not the same. There's thing. a focus so on, like see. you said, guys who have been around and, and been a part of, of rebuilding teams and young teams and have, have been through that process. And you mm-hmm. think, you know, Chris McFarland joining the Avs when he did in 2015, 16, and they're a completely different team now than they were then and they're off on the upcoming and i would i would argue and, and again i'd have to double check this to kind of fact check myself but i would argue the avalanche in 2015 16 2016 17 are arguably in the same spot that the ducks are right now in terms of you know young talent coming in and then still drafting guys like ronton and mccarr uh, and now you know they've come into their own with this organization so the ducks are kind of at a similar part to where uh the, the avs were when mcfarland joined them and Again, I think the same goes to, you know, to be said for you know Tolsky or Darsh when with their time with Tampa Bay and with Carolina and any other GM candidates, and it seems like they're going for that approach of guys who have worked with potentially smaller market teams have been a part of those rebuilds and and you know taking a team from a good young team to you know a Stanley Cup contending team, guys who are, are you know I, I don't want to say mm-hmm. the opposite of Bob Murray, but you know, a bit more modern in their approach to player development and analysis and, sure. and, and approach in these negotiations and, and, and handlings of players and and in hockey operations that you, you see guys like Jeff Solomon, you know, Jeff Solomon getting the interim job and obviously Martin Madden getting promoted to, to the AGM position and, and then the guys that get linked to this job, there there seems to be a, a framework of what they want the potential GM to be, and they're they're targeting candidates who kind of fit that mold. They're just finding the right guy, right? The the perfect fit for that position, and and they've you know yeah. cast a wide net if it's ten to twelve guys to find the right guy, and and I think that's the proper approach. And they're taking their time with it, right? Started off with the internal interviews. They'll get those out of the way first, and let these guys handle their job coming up to the um, to the trade deadline here, and then they'll focus on. The external interviews over the next couple of weeks here, probably heading into uh, the All Star break, and I would imagine, you know, by the time we get back to, to playing hockey near the end of February, early March, that uh, they've probably narrowed that list down to, to four or five different guys, right? I I would think that would be the the next step here after the interviews, and uh, you know, that's one of the things I'll, I'm I'm excited to see is well, whatever that final list is, I don't I'm not sure how privy will be to that news. I haven't been following. Right. Like for example, the Montreal saga and uh, and if that list got leaked on what kind of the final candidates were before Kent Hughes got the job. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's an exciting time. Like you said, we haven't had this happen in a long time, right, in, in a search for a general manager and bringing in a new face. And, um, you know, we mentioned this last year when we speculated about Bob Murray's, how much time he has left in his tenure with the Ducks that, this is the biggest decision the franchise has had to make in you know decades uh, and, and bringing in a new guy to run this organization. And it's such a pivotal point for this franchise with the young players they have coming up to have a new guy that's going to lead this team and build this team. It's, you know, it, it's something you'll look back on in 10 years and whether it works out or not, this is the, the moment, this is the decision you'll point to on, on you know, whether it's going to work out or not and, and what, uh, you know, what guys in charge to do that. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I think it's worth saying that both of us said guys, and today the Hockey News put out a list of like the twenty best, uh, not best, but like twenty women who yeah. start to well, see we've seen them these jobs and involved in the yeah, interviews, 10 right? Ten to twelve so. people. You hope Anaheim 
Right, you know, and, you know, like, games like Jennifer Botterill and things like that. So, like, you know, that's the other part of this, right, is hopefully they're they're looking for different viewpoints and things yeah. like that. At the end of the day, you get the right candidate people, for the job no matter what. But, right, you know, and so just going to different places and trying not to, you know, if nothing else, just don't repeat the same mistakes of other teams, right, when they, they limit themselves needlessly. So, you know, hopefully when we start to get more of these lists, we start to see some of those names kind of be on it. Um, you know, I'm not going to sit here and pretend to be particularly knowledgeable about uh, management in general as far as who's necessarily where. I kind of just know the big names. Like Chris yeah, McFarland wasn't here. a name that I knew. Um, you know, so... But you just hope that the, the process is going smoothly. And like I said, based on what it, I, what I feel there is to glean from the names that we've already heard, it is encouraging to me that it does seem to be a, a thoughtful process and that, um, you know, having players like Scott Niedermeyer and Paul Correa involved um, can, can be really beneficial for the team because, you know, those are two guys who, who played the game at an incredible level. Um, you know, and, and they played when that game was so heavy and they weren't heavy players, you know, so to see the game switch, like, like Paul Correa would win an MVP yeah. if he walked into the league today. You know what I mean? Like he, it's incredible. Like the stuff that he was doing when the he space that it. they have now, um, if he had that space, you know, yeah, it would be, uh, yeah, exactly. You know, and just, you know, just the general talent level of everybody out there, like, you know what I mean? He just—it's just one of those things. So I, I think there's there's a lot of positives to kind of lean into a little bit here about this process and about how it's going. Yeah, on. and it, so it's something it's we'll continue to follow every time we we get updates. We'll we'll mention the show and uh, we'll go into a bit more detail of it. I I think probably be a little bit before we get any updates because uh, as LeBron mentioned in his tweet, you know, external internal interviews are done and external interviews will be held over the next couple of weeks. So I imagine um, we don't get too many leaks until those are done and they start narrowing down that list. But in the meantime, we'll, we'll, we'll cover it. And as more news comes in, we'll, we'll talk about it. But uh, the last thing we have to talk about today is that it's outside of the ducks. It's uh in Edmonton, where the uh, the dumpster fire continues to burn uh, as bright as uh, bright as the sun, and <laughs> things are not going well there. And as it typically is, I mean, in any market, but specifically Canadian markets, the uh, the media has their fun and has their way with some uh, of some of the players and some of the questions they ask can uh, can be borderline uh, blasphemous, I guess you call it at times, just stupid questions. Um, Questions. I, I think they just, will, yeah, we'll we'll play rude, the clip here, but I think the question was like basically pinpoint one reason why you guys have lost this many games or why you're losing or why you're playing bad. Like just I don't know what answer you're <laughs> expecting to get. And, and like listen, Jim Matheson has has clearly done his time as a journalist. I think uh, he's I believe he's a hockey hall of fame journalist. Like he is he's a guy who's done his time yeah. and and. and like you know got into the position he has for a reason but like come on man like you've been around the block you're not a new guy and to come in and not only ask a dumb question and, and you know you can expect an answer like dry saddle gave to uh to then follow it up with the comment he does and uh, i won't ruin it i'll play it for us or anybody who hasn't heard it but it's just uh it's just a weird one it's just something like you you just don't do it you don't approach it like that yeah no it's i yeah. Just right, gotta play, play it. It's the only way. Lots of reasons for why the Oilers are playing the way they are in terms of winning and losing. 
What do you think is the number one reason for the losses now? Is there, is there one thing that you, in your own mind you're saying, we got to get better at that? Yeah, we have, we have to get better at everything. Would you like to expand on that? Nope. You can do that. You know everything. Why are you so pissy, Leon? Hmm? Why are you so pissy? I'm not. I'm just I'm, answering your question. Yeah, you are. Whenever I ask you a question. I gave you an answer. Not a very good one. Okay. I have one more for you. Leon, you showed your frustration on the ice last game against Ottawa. Is that a good thing when you show it so the other team knows you're frustrated? Yeah, it's a great thing, for sure. Good. Yeah. All right. So, um, a, a lot to a lot to unpack there. Um, man, like the, <laughs> again, to, to, to follow up with the second question after that, after it bombed so bad, is is a bold move. And, and the second question is almost just to try and provoke him. I think to say something at that point, like that question is more so directed at him, basically saying like, you know, the other team wants you to be frustrated, and why are you doing that? Is it's. I think he knew what he was going to get out of that. But the whole thing for me is like, okay, you ask a dumb question. You get, you know, short answer. Typical kind of athlete answer when they don't want to answer a question. You know, he doesn't answer the question directly. He says, yeah, you know, we can get better at a lot of things. I don't know. Like, I don't know what, what one – name one thing. Name the number one thing of why you're losing. Like, right. I don't know. We're, we're It's a lot of things. And he's right. It is a lot of things. But – for him to uh, to chime in, like, why are you so pissy? Well, I, because you're asking dumb questions, and and he's in the middle of a losing streak. Like he does, he's I, and he's one of the best players in the league, playing on a team with the best player in the league. Like they they hear this all the time, and and you know it, it seems like an interaction too that you know, we don't hear all the media questions, and these guys are there every game get asked these questions a lot. This probably happens a lot, and and as that, you know, these guys deal with each other on a almost daily basis with these questions it, it seems like this has been brewing for a while and finally uh and finally boiled over at some point but man, it's a, it, i love it because it's, it's hilarious to watch but it's such a such a weird interaction a weird way for uh, a journalist especially as one that's been around as long as jim matheson to approach that situation i think like for me it's just like his tone of voice the way he asked the questions because like Here's the thing, right? If you were going to him, you'd be like, you guys are having a hard time right now. Is there any one thing that you guys are hoping to get turned around sooner than later? And, like, try to lean on that and, and to kind of build some momentum here. Like, is there one thing you guys can, you know, work on that kind of helps stop the fall or something like that? But the way he had he's like, I mean, you guys have to fix everything. But is there one thing really you want to fix? And I say, oh, fuck you, dude. What are you gonna do? That's not a question. Like, what do you want me to do? Yeah. Go, oh, yeah, the goalies need to be better. Or uh, if our defense gets, you're going to get two answers that. there. You're either going to get like, what Leon said, or you're going to get I have to be better. You know, that that's the only two answers you're going to get. Yeah, exactly. Like you know, if you're not going to ask interesting questions, you're not going to get interesting answers. But to follow it up with such a condescending comment in, why are you so pissy? <laughs> like that's just so condescending. Like it, it baffles my mind that you would say that to, like another adult yeah. in a professional setting like jim matheson is at work leon dreisaitl is at work and he's looking at him why are you being so pissy like no dude you don't get to talk to me that way so like uh, you know uh, he asked a stupid question he got a stupid answer that's the game but to follow it up the way that he did was was just ridiculous it's just embarrassing like you know you ask a bad question ask a bad question shit happens 
but you know, just to to make yourself look stupid, you know, I just I, that to me, it's just so baffling that he thought that was an appropriate comment to make at that point. Like, it really yeah. is to me. It's just like baffling. I just don't get. It. Like, what did you think was going to happen? Why are you being such a little bitch <laughs> right now? Basically, what he said. like, oh well, you know, actually, I'm having a hard time. Like, no, dude, like. What yeah. the fuck? And, such uh, a yeah. stupid question, you know? Yeah, to follow yeah, it up with another question. stupid question, too. Holy and, God. like, one that just seemed like it was queued up to follow up another dumb question. Like, he knew it. It just felt like he knew what he was doing. Like, I, he's not that stupid. I feel like if a, a, a reporter that's been doing this as long as he has, like, you know typically what answers or what, what an athlete's going to say. Like, they're media trained. Like, you generally know the type of answer you're going to get when you ask a question and when you've been doing it for as long as he is, you definitely know what you're going to get on most occasions is these answers. Sometimes they surprise you, but he knew going into this, that like the answer he was going to get is what he got. Or like I said, you know, I got to be better personally, like a, a directed off the team approach. That's what these guys are trained mm-hmm. to, to say and what they are going to say in those situations. So it, it almost felt like he knew he was going to get something out of this that he could kind of push his agenda here to be like, why, why are you so pissy? Like, he, there, there's something here that's been brewing for a while. And then he had that second question kind of brewed up to, to try and throw dry settle under the bus by basically saying, like, your emotions got better of you in that game. And is this what other teams look for when you're doing that? Like, come on, man. Like, so... I, he, clearly he got upset, too, by the comment from, from Leon, which I don't think was, was offside in any means, where he said, like, that's your job. Like, you do that. Like, you figure it out. Yeah, here's the thing, right? Like, if he doesn't answer the question, right? That that like you're literally allowed to say that. I asked this question, I didn't get a good answer. He seemed to be dodging me, or whatever, right? Like, yeah, you clearly don't have a fucking problem writing whatever you want. So, like, you know, what are you doing? But to me, it's just it's one of two things, right? You can look at it two ways. It's either play stupid games, win stupid prizes, or fuck around and find out. He pushed his luck. He got snapped back on. Like that's just the way that goes. But for me, it's it's really just you asked bad questions. And even if I think there's something to the question you are trying to ask, you're a fucking professional. You're supposed to be able to communicate your questions clearly to a professional athlete in a manner that is going to get you an answer that you can then use. That is literally your fucking job at that press conference. It is not on him to make up for your mistake. Now. We've seen some examples of players doing things like that, of you know, having a conversation and stuff like that. But by and large, that seems to be interactions based on, uh, I would say, mutual respect, which isn't going to happen if you're calling athletes uh, pissy. You, you know, if you're sitting there looking at this guy who's having a great year and his team is on fire, and you're like, why are you being such a little bitch? Like, like you're not going to establish any, you know, kind of trust between you and that athlete. Like, it's fucking embarrassing. So, you know, for me, I don't like Dreisaitl, but, like, I love him now. Like, that was great. Like, because screw him. Like, you, you know, if, if you're just going to be an asshat, yeah. that's the way and, it's going to be. Like, I, I don't understand what you think you're going to get from that. This is a team that's lost 12 of their last 15. We've seen comments from McDavid in the media in not the same sense. But, again, like, he's basically saying, like, listen, I don't care what you guys say. Like, he's, he basically came out and said that. Like, it's not my job to care about what the media says we really don't care like you know you're you do your job we do ours but we're trying to figure this out and like they you know they're over it like they they get these questions every day in in, in this canadian market it, it's rough 
and this is a you know a losing streak or like i said lost 12 of their last 15 that's been going since the beginning of december like this is not short term at this point this is a month and a half of losing for the oilers like they've been dealing with it for that long like it gets old you can tell these guys are over answering the same questions over and over again why are we losing why are you losing what is the gm going to do what are you going to do like they get the same questions all the time it just gets old at some point and and again it almost feels like like you're attempting to not look for an interesting question to get notoriety at that point if you're jim matheson you're looking to get a reaction like you're looking to basically have what happened. Yeah, it's right? You want this to yeah. become a thing. You want it to, you know, be the front and center of this situation here. Get your name out there. Like this is the plan for him at this point. Is what it seems like, right? And it's just. And now this is going to become the center of the story. Not, the, you know, for a while at least. Not. The, and I think it came out right after a lot of people were saying, "Okay, is Drysdale going to ask for a trade?" No, no. He's not like this. This is not going to result in Leon Draisaitl being traded because him and Jim Matheson got into it in in a press conference. But if he was, <laughs> here's what you know. Like uh, it... <laughs> me and Eddie put together five different trade packages yep, that's for a, Leon That's the next Patreon show. They all included it in and out. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like, listen for the Oilers. Like, they got to figure something out at some point. Um, yeah, I mean, they got to get those guys out of there, right? Like, let me say it this way. The media and fans always bitch that players don't give anybody interesting answers. And that's true. It's 100% true. But shit like this only reaffirms it to them that they have nothing to gain and everything to lose because these guys are going to go out of their way to ask stupid, yeah. disingenuous questions. At worst, or at best, they're just idiots. So, you know, there really isn't a lot to gain and a lot more to lose. So, you know, again, like if, if you're not going to give them actual interesting questions to talk about, you're not going to get interesting answers back. And you don't get to get mad at them for answering your shitty question with a shitty answer. That's on you. Um, as far as Edmonton's concerned, they're fucked. Like there's nothing they can do. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, I like we joked about it just a second ago, but like Leon Dreisaitl is a very movable contract. He's got like three or four more years left at eight and a half million for a hundred point player. Like he's very clearly easy to trade for, but like, you know, what four quarters are you going to get back? That's going to make yeah. up for the, and, and the problem is in, in you, you just can't logistically get something now in return. That's going to make one, make you a better team or a more complete team for a guy like Leandre. So like you, you do that move if you're restarting and you can't afford to do that when you have Connor McDavid on the team, like you just can't. Um, so they're they're stuck in it, and it's not like it's listen. It's not a bad situation to be stuck in to have Leon Drysdale and Connor McDavid on your team. You've just got to have the right guy in there to figure it out, and uh, you know. Yeah, and it seems like Ken Holland's not that guy. And I'll be honest, man, I was I was I was curious. I was mildly optimistic that he might do some wild shit, make some trades, and then he did do the Duncan Keith trade, which, like, again, like. Not the worst result. Yeah. Very bad process. Um, you know, I like the thought of bringing in. Duncan in in Keith, theory, you you can see why they did it. Work. If they were to make the playoffs, like he's a great uh-huh. guy to have around. He's still a decent hockey player, but there right. are, yeah. But the rest of it, they is score a lot of goals, but they also decision. allow a lot of goals. You know, it's it's rare 
Yep. At least I haven't seen it that often. It might not be rare. Um, and it might just be my oversight here. But is he a team, you know, ninth in goal scoring and 25th in goals against per game? Like the the, the need is right. very clear in uh, in Edmonton. They need a, a capable goaltender. Um, and if I, if I was a team that had two or one I was willing to move right now, I would be trying to get whatever I can from Mano because they are desperate to to acquire one and then obviously a defender i think is the is the second need for them but uh, big trade deadline i think bigger than any team out there right now is is what edmonton does at that trade deadline all right hampus we're gonna put anthony stolars in your pocket we're gonna give you guys both five bucks and a little plane ticket let's go but here's the other thing like the other part of it is, is like, you know, Ken Holland came out and he was like, we're not going to trade any of our top prospects or a pick for something. I feel like the answer's in the room. And like, one, like, that's a stupid thing to say. The answer's clearly aren't in the room. But two, okay, if you want to hold on to that, you know, and, and wait, you know, give yourself more time, maybe see if the team responds, yada, yada, yada. And now you're in a different position. You have different bargaining chips, whatever. Cool. But you're still in the middle of this year with those two guys not doing anything. So, you know, even if it does get a little bit better come the summer, you start to have more options. Teams are a little bit more interested in making some things happen. Like you still wasted a full year of you know two of two of the best players in the league. Um, like I just don't know how you can justify that, right? Like you're paying these guys what twenty one million dollars, twelve and a half, and eight and a half. You know, you're, you're paying these guys a lot of fucking money to win hockey games and look the fact that neither of them play defenses aside they're doing as much as they possibly fucking can those guys have played incredible these last few years in Edmonton and at a certain point like you have to give them some help and like the Zach Hyman thing like sure but like doesn't really fix any of the fact that they don't have like a third defenseman you know what I mean like Darnell Nurse and Tyson Berry are functionally the same player at this point which is fine but then if you have to play Tyson Berry with Duncan Keith, who's cooked, and you're playing Darnell Nurse with a rookie in Bouchard, like, I, it, you know, like, dude, this was this was foreseeable. Like, none of the problems here were things that you couldn't see coming. So, you know, it's, it's – I don't know what they're going to do, and I don't know that they have a ton of options, but – Ken Holland's got to do something. Yeah, there, to there's not a lot forever. of options uh, for what the uh, the Oilers can do. Like, I mean, obviously, Evander Kane seems to be a guy they want to add. And I think, like, listen, as we've talked about this already on the last show, um, you know, take out the, the person side of it. He, as a player, he's a perfect fit at a league minimum for a team like Edmonton. Um, the only problem is he's just an asshole, so it, it, doesn't, it doesn't help uh, in that sense. But you think, let, let's say they add him, you, know, you go out and, you know, Let's say you you can maybe get Varlamov from from Edmonton and, and send you know Koskinen back the other way and then go out and get a defenseman like there's there's a framework there of of plan that you could get done, um, but the the options for adding you know a netminder who's going to make a difference in the middle of the season like it just doesn't always happen. It's rare that you can do that that you can add a starting netminder a guy who could lead your team. Presumably, what they obviously the hope is for them to a Stanley Cup or deep deep playoff run, you don't get those guys in the middle of the season, and you don't always get those guys in the off season either. Like it takes a while to be able to to get a guy like that, and 
you know, I know there will be more candidates, and I don't think the Ducks would ever move John Gibson in the middle of the season, but if he ever became available, you know, one of the teams at the top of the the, the, the call list for, for the Ducks would be the Edmonton Oilers. They'd be ringing uh, whoever the GM's phone is at that point uh, on a daily basis to try and get him in, I'm sure. But there are other options. Like I mentioned, Varlamov and a few teams that are struggling right now. I know Price's name has been thrown in the mix. I just don't imagine how they fit that contract in with Drysaddle and, and McDavid there. There would be some cap. Yeah. Dude, here's the other thing. Speaking of cap, dude. Uh, Darnell yep. Bruce's extension kicks in next year. He jumps up to 9.25. They're going to have three guys over $9 million, and they're not going to have the Toronto Western Conference That's final. That's exactly bro. the same problem. Like, they're going. I mean, they're winning hockey games, no, but still. Like, was, oh, my God, dude. I'm having, like, Clipper flashbacks right now. Like, Blake Griffin and going to die. But, like, oh, my God. Dude. Yeah, like, you know, like, do you want to trade Darnell Bruce at 26? Do you want to try to trade Tyson, Tyson Berry, who's on four and a half a year for two more years after this one? Like, you know, shit, Cody Cece's got three more years after this at 3.25 million. Like, what the fuck is going on over there? And yet, you know, like, like, like Miko Koskinen has a modified no trading clause. Like, that's the thing that's crazy. It's like, I'm looking at their cap friendly pages, and by and large, they actually don't have a ton of. Uh, contracts with trade protections, but they're the worst possible ones. Nico Koskinen, uh, yeah. Duncan Keith, Zach Hyman. Zach Hyman, you know, hey, you, he's on your timeline as far as he's helping you win for the next couple of years, so that's fine. But, like, you know, I don't think anybody's going to take Zach Cassian away from you for on $3.2 million for nothing. Like, you're going to have to pay through the nose to move some of these things out, and that's just trying to undo yeah. the And the problem is they don't have a a lot of depth at any position to be like, okay, we can move a Nugent Hopkins or we can move right, that, or, or we can move an Evan, Evan, Evan Bouchard or, or anything Austin like that. Bomb, well, yeah, and Clef Bomb's done presumably for the rest of his career unless things turn up for him. But like, yeah. you just don't have the wing depth to move a winger for a defenseman. You don't have a defense depth to move a defenseman for a goaltender. You don't have the assets, presumably, to go out and get some of these guys when you look at prospects. like You just they don't have a lot to work with. So, I mean, listen, we could probably talk about the Oilers' struggles all day, uh, but we'd be here all night. Um, so any any last words on that that you want to say for the Oilers? Uh, well, uh, it's fine because Austin Matthews is the best hockey player in the world right now. Future Arizona And Curry. I hope, I hope Edmonton Jeez. burns it out. No, um, I know. All right. Well, we got two games coming up this week. Uh, not looking like fun games. Um, when you look at who the Ducks are playing this week. I uh, got Colorado tomorrow and Tampa Bay on Friday, both at home. So there's a slight advantage there. Uh, yeah, but it, it's not yeah, it's not a long one. Uh, it's it's not t- it's gonna be tough. It's the toughest two matchups the Ducks have probably had all season. The way Colorado is rolling right now, and obviously Tampa Bay getting Kucherov back, point back, they're fully healthy. Stamkos is rolling. It, it, it's a tough tough matchup to go into this week. I, I mean, we could get into our predictions. I think we're both probably gonna say the same thing. Um, this is two losses on the surface. It looks like two losses this week. Yeah, if, if, if Saturday morning I told you Anaheim lost both games by a combined score yeah. of 10, like they lost by 10 goals total after two games, it wouldn't surprise you. 
that's a buzzsaw. That's a two-game buzzsaw. Like, that's not that's going to suck. That's taking a shotgun to the face. It doesn't get easier, too, because uh, be after that, you've got four games in eight nights, or five games in eight nights, and uh, you have to go on the road for all of them. Boston, Toronto, Montreal, Ottawa, which as long as it doesn't get postponed, I'll be there at that game. And then Detroit to end out the month of January, and then you have the break. But it's not an easy road trip to go through. Like, obviously, Montreal, Ottawa, Detroit, they're not great teams. Boston and Toronto, like the next four is just, uh, is a gauntlet. Colorado, Tampa, Boston, Toronto, and Boston, Toronto on the road. That uh, and we know how the Ducks play in Toronto. Uh, it never goes well for the Ducks. I think they've lost their last probably five or six meetings in Toronto at the. I don't even know what the arena is called now. Air Canada Center, Scotia Bank Arena, whatever it's called now. Uh, it it, uh, it never goes well, and and you know even then at the end of the week, the Montreal game is a back to back because they play the Leafs on Wednesday, so that will be tough. As bad as Montreal is, they are healthy now. Toffoli came back to uh, tonight, I think, and had two points. Dvorak's back. Suzuki's playing well. Like you know, again, it's it's a tough place. It's a tough building to go in, even with the the Habs playing the way they are. Ottawa's turned things around. I think they've won two or three games in a row before losing tonight against Buffalo. Uh, so, you know, and, and then Detroit, <laughs> we look at the last Detroit game, and, and it was a close game uh, that went to a shootout. So it's, uh, it's a tough seven-game stretch here to end the month of January, and it doesn't, uh, doesn't get easier starting Wednesday and Friday, that's for sure. No, no, it does not. It does not get easier. <clears throat> I mean, uh, the, one, the one plus you say right now, right, is Gibby is maybe in a position to start a few of those games and maybe kind of help stop the bleeding in some of them. Um, you know, that could be that could be huge, right, is getting Gibby back and having that guy who can just step in and be a difference maker on a level that is too good as the other two guys have looked. They just can't do it yet. Um, Stolarz isn't that guy, and, you know, uh, Dostal just can't do it right now. Um so that's something, but like, yeah, like, you know, they just lost Manson, and I know a lot of people feel a lot of ways about him, but like, it's, he's better than Mahura, right? He's better than Larson. Patteron, whoever they're going to bring up. <laughs> he's better. Yeah. You know, you know what? To his credit, Larson actually looked all right that last game I saw. I can't remember which one it was, but I like, think it was he actually Chicago. looked pretty fine, and I was like, I think it might have been Chicago, and I was just like, oh, okay. And Brendan Gooley came up. He looked perfectly fine, and so much that I never saw him. I just, like, never noticed that he was out there until all of a sudden it just was, like, number two. And his first game oh, yeah. since, like, March 2020 um, or something for the Ducks. Oh, dude, insane. But, um, you know, it's not going to go well, this this next stretch. It could go great, and that would be huge. Get some momentum coming home, get a home stretch or whatever. Uh, pick back some of those lost points as far as trying to stay uh relevant in the uh, that that race for third in the pacific um but it could just as easily be four or five losses out of six or seven games like i don't think you know that's that's uh that's too bad yeah. like, I, 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 I think that's the, the only thing you can ask for is uh, um, they play the games competitive right they keep them close uh, it's not a blowout. It's, right. but it, it, it's it's tough. Like I, I I'm I'm gonna check this last stat before we wrap up. I would imagine uh, Tampa Bay and Colorado are probably the top two or in the top five in offense in the league. Colorado's first, and Tampa Bay Tampa Bay's eighth, but uh, newly anointed with um, Braden Point and. Kucherov, they've scored now 
19 goals in their last four games because they're beating uh, the the Kings 6-3 to three right now. So 6-1 win over Buffalo, 4-2 over Vancouver, 3-1 over Dallas, and 6-3 over uh, over the Kings that could turn into to seven three if they get an empty net goal. So it's yeah, it's it's facing two teams at absolutely the wrong time to face them. I remember when we faced Colorado earlier in the season, no McKinnon, and I don't think uh, Landeskog played in that game. It was just Ronton and Makar. And then uh, and when we played Tampa earlier, obviously there was no no Kucherov, no point. It was just Stamkos. Uh, leading the way so played a, a lot easier than the games didn't go our way in those and now you're playing them uh fully healthy it's gonna yeah, be uh, yeah. it's gonna be a tough one like we said uh, all you can hope for is that they play competitive um and we get some some good action some just some fun hockey you know trevor Zegers showing up and and some of the guys that yeah. uh, obviously we we tune in to watch uh, play well right now or whether we see lucas dosto or not I, I would imagine they will do everything and yeah everything in their power to make sure he doesn't play one of these games that is a tough one to throw this kid into this that's not how you reward him for playing well well you know what fuck that i'm gonna say this if dosto plays in one of these next five games i say he's gonna get a shutout whatever start it is against any team it is i say he's gonna get a uh, shutout well, okay. his next uh, start. montreal the back-to-back toronto montreal or oh god that would rock that would be what a you know what though knowing my luck he would start that one and just yeah. get blasted because like randomly tired to full i wouldn't mind seeing him um, start in ottawa at the the nine the nine thirty a.m for you guys it's a nine thirty a.m game that's a that's that's a tough one you can imagine there's gonna be a lot of people who His are gonna knees. miss that nine thirty a.m game anaheim against ottawa on a sunday so <laughs> that one is not getting watched by many but uh, as long as covid uh, restrictions go yeah. well uh, i should be at that game so i would i would love for lucas dosto shut out against the Sens. that'd be a lot of fun that'd be a blast man um yeah no i think uh i think that's about it for right now i think uh, we're in a good spot don't ask stupid questions and you won't get stupid answers is the big takeaway here. Uh, and do your job. Do your job. All yeah. right. Well, uh, we will be back uh, next, I guess, this weekend. Uh, yeah, there's no games this weekend, so Saturday or Sunday, depending on if we can find a schedule where we can get either uh, Jason or Pat on the show. We'll see. I don't know how much. I, I'm seeing a lot of you. <laughs> yeah, this is our third show in in like nine I days so we might yeah we might space. need to take a break a little bit especially after these two games we may not have anything to talk about that's a lot of fun just gonna be yeah, a 10 we'll, minute we'll, thing fig- we'll figure a way you to, see that? Yeah, to stretch it to an hour and a half like we bad. did for this one so we joked before the show that uh we don't have a lot to talk about tonight but we'll figure a way to stretch it out and, uh, as as we always do we we manage to stretch it to an obscenely long length that i'm if you're listening to this at this point congratulations you made it to the end <laughs> but uh, we will be back soon uh, again as we mentioned every show Steven and I are planning a few different Patreon ideas whenever we are, are not sick of each other and um, we also are planning an interview eventually with Cam Robinson from Elite Prospects to do our prospect update uh, show that we've been planning for a while here and uh, Ducks Morning Brew was supposed to return yesterday uh, but I got snowed in here and the kids were home from school so today it didn't work so hoping hoping Please if all snow. things go well tomorrow to uh to launch that back up for midday tomorrow uh, but it might be tough to follow up the podcast with that so it's coming soon 
whether it's tomorrow or or, or Thursday, um, it, it's it's coming soon. It's going to make its return. Just uh, making sure I'm out of the clear and uh, there's no more snowstorms on the way. But uh, that will be back, and and like I said, we'll be back. Hopefully this weekend with another show with some good news to talk about uh, and, and maybe a couple Ducks wins. Cross our fingers. Knock on wood that, uh, that they play well. Ooh, hopefully we get a trade out of nowhere. Okay. We can only hope. More content for the show. But uh, thanks for coming out, guys. Thanks for sticking around and, and <laughs> listening almost an hour and 40 in, and we'll, uh, we'll see you soon. Be well, y'all.